Welcome to Quanta Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. It's November of 1915. Albert Einstein stands before the Prussian Academy of Sciences. He describes his theory of general relativity, the idea that the geometry of space and time is not fixed. Instead, we inhabit a four-dimensional reality called space-time, and it fluctuates in response to matter and energy. Einstein backed up his theory with several equations, called field equations, and his theory has held up over time. But still, the math behind the theory has remained a mystery, but researchers may finally have some answers. Einstein's theory of relativity seems to describe the world we see around us, but mathematicians haven't been able to prove much about the equations themselves. We know they work, but we can't say exactly why. Even Einstein had to fall back on approximations rather than exact solutions to see the universe through the lens he'd created. But over the past year or so, mathematicians have brought the math of general relativity into sharper focus. Two groups are focusing on an important problem in general relativity called the black hole stability conjecture. Princeton mathematician Sergio Kleinermann helped come up with one of the two new proofs related to the black hole stability conjecture, or what he calls a mathematical test of reality. Black holes are very special, explicit solutions of the Einstein equations in vacuum, which is the simplest possible case when you don't add matter. The new proofs show that Einstein's equations match a physical intuition for how space-time should behave. Basically, if you jolt space-time, it shakes like jello, then settles down into a stable form like the one it began with. Kleinermann says that stability is key. If these solutions would be unstable, that will imply that they are not physical, because obviously if they are unstable, they cannot be observed in any way. There will be just some mathematical artifacts. I like to call them ghosts, so it would be like a mathematical ghost, which exists mathematically, but it has no significance from a physical point of view. Kleinermann worked with Jeremy Scheftel to come up with their proof. To do it, they had to resolve a central difficulty with Einstein's equations. To describe how the shape of space-time evolves, you need a coordinate system, like lines of latitude and longitude, that tells you which points are where. And like on Earth, it's hard to find a coordinate system that works everywhere in space-time. General relativity famously describes space-time as something like a rubber sheet. Absent any matter, the sheet is flat. But start dropping balls onto it, stars and planets, and the sheet deforms. The balls roll toward one another. And as the objects move around, the shape of the rubber sheet changes in response. Einstein's field equations describe the evolution of the shape of space-time. You give the equations information about curvature and energy at each point, and the equations tell you the shape of space-time in the future. In this way, Einstein's equations are like equations that model any physical phenomenon. This is where the ball is at time zero, and this is where it is five seconds later. The Einstein field equations somehow describe how the space-time or, you know, actually universe curves in the presence of matter or energy or something like that. That's Peter Hintz, a Clay Research Fellow at UC Berkeley, who worked with Andras Vashi on the other recent result. 
Hintz says in 1916, almost immediately after Einstein released his theory of general relativity, German physicist Karl Schwarzschild found an exact solution to the equations. And that describes an idealized black hole that is just sitting there in the universe. Nothing is changing in time. It's just completely non-dynamical, stationary. Later, physicists found exact solutions that describe a rotating black hole and one with an electrical charge. These remain the only exact solutions that describe a black hole. If you add even a second black hole, the interplay of forces becomes too complicated for present-day math techniques to handle, except in very specific situations. But you can still ask important questions about this limited group of solutions. One such question developed out of work in 1952 by French mathematician Yvan Choquet-Bruat. It basically asks, what happens when you shake a black hole? This problem is now known as the black hole stability conjecture. The conjecture predicts that solutions to Einstein's equations will be stable under perturbation. In a nutshell, this means if you wiggle a black hole, space-time will shake it first, again, think jello, before eventually settling down into a form that looks a lot like what you started with. So-called stability results are an important test of any physical theory. Hint says, imagine a pond. And it's just completely still. The water is completely even and flat. And that would be an idealized solution to the say, water wave equation describing how the surface of the water is moving in time. The idealized solution is the water is completely still. That will correspond to the idealized solution like Schwarzschild or something like that. Then the perturbation would be you start out with the water pond at some initial instant in time that's not completely even, but just ever so slightly uneven. For instance, somebody blew on it or somebody threw a little rock in it or something like this. On this perturbed pond, waves will propagate around, but as time goes on, the water becomes more and more even. And so somehow, once you wait long enough, the surface of the pond will converge to the idealized still pond again. So somehow all the ripples will eventually have died down and all you're left with is a completely still pond. Hintz says the black hole stability question is similar, but with a black hole instead of a pond. Mathematically, the solutions to whatever equations you use to describe the pond or black hole should describe that basic physical picture. Mathematician Andras Vashi of Stanford, one of the co-authors, says if the initial and long-term solutions don't match, your equations might be off. This equation might have whatever kind of properties, it's perfectly fine mathematically, but if these go against what you expect physically, then it can't be a description of the real world. So the problem is with that your equation is not the right equation. I mean, it must be then that the equation is not the right equation, even though you thought it was. For mathematicians working on Einstein's equations, stability proofs have been even harder to find than solutions to the equations themselves. Consider the case of flat, empty Minkowski space, the simplest of all space-time configurations. This solution to Einstein's equations was found in 1908 in the context of Einstein's earlier theory of special relativity. Yet, it wasn't until 1993 that mathematicians managed to prove that if you wiggle flat, empty space-time, you eventually get back flat, empty space-time. One of the main difficulties with stability proofs has to do with keeping track of what's going on in four-dimensional space-time as the solution evolves. You need a coordinate system that allows you to measure distances and identify points in space-time. 
But it's not easy to find a coordinate system that works at every point in space-time and then continues to work as the shape of space-time evolves. Hintz says they don't know of a one-size-fits-all way to do this. The thing with coordinate systems is they're a human invention. And not every coordinate system works to identify every point in a space. Remember the lines of latitude and longitude we learned by running our fingers over a globe in grade school? They're completely arbitrary, created by map makers. And sure, Hintz says latitude and longitude are great to pinpoint just about every location on Earth. However, if you're at the North Pole, or the South Pole, same thing, then that breaks down because what is the longitude of the North Pole? Well, that makes no sense, right? If you're just a little bit away from the North Pole, it makes perfect sense because, well, you can somehow say in which direction you have to go to go to Greenwich and whatnot. And the latitude certainly makes sense. You're just, you know, almost all the way north. But the longitude doesn't make sense at the North Pole itself. This latitude-longitude coordinate system breaks down in this sense at the North Pole. This kind of degeneracy that could happen if you choose a bad coordinate system. But, of course, at the North Pole itself, like if you go to the North Pole, nothing crazy is happening at the North Pole other than it's, you know, really cold. So somehow the fact that the description of points on the North Pole somehow becomes singular in the sense like you can't assign, you know, one value of coordinates to the North Pole itself. That has nothing to do with actual Earth being weird at the North Pole. This is the problem. A coordinate system can lead you to draw the wrong conclusions about the properties of physical space because the system itself is inadequate. That's why it's hard to prove the stability of space-time. Mathematician Mihaly Stafermos is a leading figure in the study of Einstein's equations. He says you might have stability, but if your coordinates aren't stable, you might miss the fact that you have stability. It's like if a map is wrong, you'll miss the location and not even know it's there. In the context of the black hole stability conjecture, whatever coordinate system you're using has to evolve as the shape of space-time evolves. Think about how a snugly fitting glove adjusts to your hand even as you move your fingers around or make a fist. The fit between the coordinate system and space-time has to be good at the start and remain good throughout. If it doesn't, there are two things that can happen that would defeat efforts to prove stability. First, your coordinate system might change shape in a way that makes it break down at certain points, just like latitude and longitude fail at the poles. Such points are called coordinate singularities. They're undefined points in your coordinate system that make it impossible to follow an evolving solution all the way through. Second, a poorly fitting coordinate system might disguise the underlying physical phenomena it's meant to measure. To prove that solutions to Einstein's equations settle down into a stable state after being perturbed, mathematicians have to keep careful track of the ripples in space-time that are set in motion by the perturbation. Let's go back to our pond example again. You throw a rock into a pond and it produces waves in the water. The pond has long-term stability because the waves decay over time. They grow smaller and smaller until there's no sign they were ever there. The situation is similar for space-time. A perturbation will set off a cascade of gravitational waves. Proving stability requires proving that those gravitational waves decay. And proving decay requires a coordinate system, also known as a gauge, 
that allows you to measure the size of the waves. Mathematician Sergio Kleinermann says the right gauge allows mathematicians to see the waves flatten and eventually disappear. Decay has to be measured relative to something. And it's here where the gauge issue shows up because if I'm not in the right gauge, even though in principle I have stability, I cannot prove it because I cannot possibly have this decay of gravitational waves in that gauge. That gauge will just not allow me to see this decay. If I don't have these decay rates of the gravitational waves, then I cannot prove stability, right? I can't do anything. UC Berkeley's Peter Hintz says, well, the coordinate system is crucial, we're human. Whenever you can make a choice, you're likely to make the wrong one. And so somehow the extra gauge condition that you uh, need to impose, you have a lot of freedom to say what this extra condition, this gauge condition is supposed to be. And so you have a ton of choices that you can make. And most of these choices are going to be bad. A full proof of the black hole stability conjecture requires proving that all known black hole solutions to Einstein's equations, with the spin of the black hole below a certain threshold, are stable after being perturbed. These known solutions include the Schwarzschild solution, which describes space-time with a non-rotating black hole, and the Kerr family of solutions. These describe configurations of space-time empty of everything except a single rotating black hole. Both of the new results make partial progress toward a proof of the full conjecture. In a 2016 paper, Hintz and Vashi proved that slowly rotating black holes are stable, but their work didn't cover black holes rotating above a certain threshold. Their proof also makes some assumptions about the nature of space-time. The original conjecture is in Minkowski space, which is not just flat and empty, but also fixed in size. Hintz and Vashi's proof takes place in what's called de Sitter space. That's where space-time is accelerating outward, just like in the actual universe. This change of setting makes the problem simpler from a technical point of view. Let's go back to our pond analogy. If you drop a rock into an expanding pond, the expansion is going to stretch the waves and cause them to decay faster than they would have if the pond were not expanding. Hintz explains how this applies to black holes and the universe. If you're looking at a universe that is undergoing an accelerated expansion, why this would help you, why this would somehow make the problem a little bit easier is that it appears to dilute gravitational waves, right? Somehow if the space itself is expanding. Then the waves have more room to spread out and eventually die down. Kleinermann and Schaftel's work has a slightly different flavor. Their proof, the first part of which was posted online in late 2017, takes place in Schwarzschild space-time. It's closer to the original, more difficult setting for the problem. They prove the stability of a non-rotating black hole, but they don't address solutions in which the black hole is spinning. Also, they only prove the stability of black hole solutions for a narrow class of perturbations, where the gravitational waves generated by those perturbations are symmetric in a certain way. Both results involve new techniques for finding the right coordinate system for the problem. Hintz and Vashi start with an approximate solution to the equations based on an approximate coordinate system and gradually increase the precision of their answer until they arrive at exact solutions and well-behaved coordinates. Kleinermann and Scheftel take a more geometric approach to the challenge. The two teams are now trying to build on their methods to find a proof of the full conjecture, 
some expert observers think the day might not be far off. Michelle Yoon helped with this episode. I'm Susan Vallett. For more on this story, read Kevin Hartnett's full article, To Test Einstein's Equations, Poke a Black Hole, on our website, quantamagazine.org. Music